welcome to episode 44 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can normally listen to in less time than it takes to put your top 10 games in numerical order. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week is going to be a longer than usual episode, partially to make up for our holiday hiatus and to give us ample time to discuss our favorite games of 2017. First, we discuss a few games we've played recently, like Dungeon Pets, The Downfall of Pompeii, and Majesty for the Realm. Then, we talk about our thoughts on the games we played in 2017, including our top 10 games of the year. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi, Cassidy, and me, Crystal. A couple of weeks ago, the Dice Tower, which is a network of podcasts and videos that were a part of the podcast network, they launched their Kickstarter for 2018. So this Kickstarter is so that they could be full-time on working on board game content. Uh, we're not actually a part of this Kickstarter. We don't get anything from it. But we want to support them because we like what the Dice Tower is doing for the hobby and how they're producing a lot of awesome content, both on podcast and through YouTube. They have a lot of videos on their channel. Yeah, I think they said that they last year they uh, put out 2,300 videos on <laughs> <Wow>. YouTube, which <laughs> is... And that's from not just the main people, but like all of their contributors as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's still kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. And their content has been improving a lot. They have like new gear and stuff, a studio, dedicated studio. So it's it's looking nice. But yeah, so check that out. It's uh, We'll put a link to the show notes to Dice Tower 2018 Kickstarter. Yep. And it ends on January 31st. So you still have uh, a couple weeks to get in on that. Um, I imagine by the time you hear this, they will be fully funded and hopefully busting through some stretch goals, <laughs> which uh, there's some really good ones. Apparently, uh, Z Garcia, during the live video when they launched the Kickstarter, said that if they hit their uh, 300,000, he will play Twilight Imperium 4. And <laughs> that is crazy and awesome. <laughs> <laughs> also, I want to be in that game. Because <laughs> Z gets some... I've, I've played longer games with Z before, and he does tend to get sometimes a little bit cranky in a longer game, but I totally want to see him play TI4, because I think it would be awesome. In other announcements, uh, we also wanted to give a shout out to a new podcast that just launched a couple of weeks ago as well. Uh, Flip Flory's Super Saturday Board Game Serial, which is kind of a, uh, it's a fun and silly, I don't even know how to describe it, which is fun because I was on one of the episodes that, that released already. <laughs> You'd think I'd know how to explain it, but it's a silly take on board games where he has a bunch of different segments. Uh, one of the segments, which I didn't do, but I think is hilarious, he has a segment called Spiel where he and his a guest take a board game and start on the outside and move to the inside and they smell it. <laughs> and they describe it as if it were a wine, basically. And it's really funny. <laughs> uh, I was in one of the episodes that released um, when he dropped the first five. I think I'm in episode three. I haven't listened to my episode yet, so hopefully it's good. But it was a lot of fun to do. And uh, Flip Flory was part of Flip the Table, which you all know and love, hopefully, because we've talked about that a lot. And they've given us a bunch of support in the past. And Flip the Table ended this past summer, but now Flip is doing his own thing. And uh, we think it's awesome. So go check out Flip Flory's Super Saturday Board Game Serial. And that's serial with an S, not a C. <laughs> <laughs> Over the holidays, I got to play Dungeon Pets, which is a 2011 game by Vlada Schwadel. The art's by David Koshard, and it's published by CGE. And this is one of your favorite games, if I remember yes. correctly. I really and can't I believe this is the first time you're talking about it, like, <laughs> yeah. as you recently played. It kind of yeah, is strange. Yeah, because I hadn't played it since 2015. Wait, really? Even though it's one of my favorite games, <laughs> yeah. So oh, wow. it was really nice to be able to get it back. So Dungeon Pets is a two- to four-player game. It's a worker placement game where you're a pet store owner raising these cute little monsters as pets and entering them into exhibitions and selling them to dungeon lords in order to gain reputation points. My parents wanted to learn it, so I taught it to them over the holidays, and that's that's how I got to play. So that was really fun. So are, are your parents into, like, generally heavier games? I know Dungeon Pets isn't, like, the heaviest, mm -hmm. but it's also not a light game. 
Yeah, so is that- it's a pretty complicated game for what it looks like. Is there a specific reason they wanted to learn it? They had heard that me talking about it, I think, and so Aww. they wanted to play it. That's yeah. adorable. <laughs> <laughs> so th- they actually really like it. But anyway, so Dungeon Pets is pretty complicated. There's a lot of actions you do, and you need to make sure you satisfy your pet's needs, which are things like getting food or playing with them or making sure your cage is strong enough to hold them, or sometimes they just poop. <laughs> and the <laughs> the needs are also tied to the way you get points from exhibitions and selling them. So each dungeon lord and exhibition has different needs that they score positive points on and some that give negative points. So you plan ahead to figure out which pet you want for which dungeon lord and you play the right needs at the right time. And the worker placement part is also interesting. Instead of going around in player order, you bid your imp workers by putting them into groups and the biggest group goes first. So I could try to have a bunch of actions with like one worker in each group, but everyone with two or more workers in the group would go before me. So all the spots would be gone. So that makes the worker placement part really competitive, intense, since like sometimes you really need to do this one action, so you make a group of like five imps just so you make sure you can do it. How many workers do you generally have to like divvy up? You start with six imps, and you also have some gold that you can get from selling pets, and you get it each round just as income, and those count as units in your groups, and then there are four imps that... Uh, are off board that you can get throughout the game if you go on a spot. Okay. So, yeah. So you usually have a decent number to work with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really like Dungeon Pets. I think the theme is really cute and it goes well with the mechanics. And I love the art, as I've mentioned before. So in in the play we had, it was the first time I bought a pet in the first round and kept it until the end of the game and sold it to the last Dungeon Lord. So it was fully grown, which meant it had a lot of needs to fulfill but it was worth it because I got a lot of points for it. And my parents also really liked it, and they want to play it again. (laughs) My mom actually got second place. Okay, I have two questions. One, (laughs) do any of the pets ever die in the game? (laughs) So in the rule book, (laughs) so the pets age, and if you don't buy them, they get older, and then there's a second age, and if you don't buy that one, it uh, goes to the farm. No! It says in the rule book, it goes to the farm and lives happily. It goes happily, to the but, farm. <laughs> but a meat appears at the meat stand. No. No, no, <laughs> But that's no. just a coincidence. That's what it says in the rule book. <laughs> it is not. It is not just a coincidence. It, it's just a coincidence. Okay, well, technically, that answer makes my second question a little less excited. But will you teach me this game at BlitzCon? Sure. Okay, because I... I've found, like, I've said in the past, Euros aren't my thing, and I know this is a little more Euro-y, but, like, worker placement Euros, I'm finding, tend to be the ones that I, especially if they have a good theme like this, tend to be the ones that I do enjoy. And based on your now more thorough description, I'm definitely intrigued. So Recently, I got to play uh, Downfall of Pompeii, which I picked up at Origins over the summer. So I'm glad I finally got that played. It was published in 2004 by Mayfair, and it plays two to four in roughly 45 minutes. So even though it's a Euro, it plays in less than an hour, which is kind of fun and wow, nice. Wow, it's 14, 14 years old. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of crazy. <laughs> I like to talk about old games, apparently. I like that. <laughs> the downfall of Pompeii is the most fun I've had gaming in 2018. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so and for for anyone listening to this on January 18th, we are actually recording this on January 6th. So that's an even more powerful statement or not. I don't know. It's probably not. I mean, there's not, not a lot of time there, right? I've played three games so far this year. Hey, but you, if you had fun playing it, that's already a good thing. So Pompeii plays in two phases. So in the first phase, you are placing workers or placing your people into the city of Pompeii. During the second phase, uh, lava is spreading and you're helping your people escape Pompeii. The most fun part of this game, at least for me, this is going to make me sound kind of evil, is (laughs) when you draw a card called an omen card, you pick up any player off the board or any person off the board and throw it in the actual volcano of the game. Yeah, and there's like a, yeah, it's like a plastic that part. thing. Like it's a plastic yeah, volcano, right? Yeah, there's this right? little plastic volcano piece that actually has a nice little spot on the board. It's not even off to the side. It's just on the board. 
it's 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 quite enjoyable. <laughs> the other second best thing of this game is that when you place a lava tile to start spreading the lava around and there are people on that tile or on the spot that you're placing it, you throw all of those people into the volcano. <laughs> I did not win this game. <laughs> you you win by having the most people escape Pompeii. There are like I think it's six gates to to get out of the out of the city, and those gates can be blocked by lava, and a lot of mine got blocked by lava. So I had the most people in the volcano versus safely out of the city. Anyway, even though I lost. I still had a lovely time playing this, and considering it's only 45 minutes, it's kind of hard to say no to a game where you get to throw people in a volcano. I mean, that's that's a good selling point for any game. (laughs) All right, well, while you all were killing off uh, people (laughs) in Pompeii (laughs) and pets, I mean, sending them to a farm. Somebody sent them to a farm and meat appeared. That's I I don't know. It seems, it seems suspicious. Some magical meat. Oh no. Uh, well, I played a game where nobody dies. I think. <laughs> um, and it's funny because I had not heard about this game at all until my friend brought it to game night recently. Apparently, it was released at Essen, uh, but just hit the U.S. I think right just now or something like that and it is called majesty for the realm uh majesty for the realm is a game for two to four players um and it's from publishers hans im gluck and z-man and there's some other publishers listed on the page and i but i think those are the primary two who published it originally in germany and then here in the u.s uh in majesty for the realm players take turns drafting cards from a public line of cards next to the deck and they add them to their tableau, building different sets of seven different types of cards. Um, and the cards kind of are less powerful on the left side of your tableau and more powerful on the right side based on what type they are. Each type has a specific color and uh, like job assigned to it. So there's like the brewer and the soldier and the defense guy who I don't remember his name. And like there's a royalty one that's purple. But basically, when you draft a card, it will usually give you victory points based on what other cards you've drafted in certain categories. So, like, if you draft, for instance, like, a blue card, you'll get points for every red, yellow, and blue card you've already put into your tableau. And sometimes when you draft a card, it'll give you points and it'll give other people points based on what cards they have in their tableaus. Like, the soldiers will attack people but if unless they have the defensive cards. And when you're taking cards from the line, you can take from the very end of the line or you can pay meeples uh, that you have available to you to skip cards. And you can only have a maximum of five meeples at any given point. And you collect meeples then by picking up the ones that other people have dropped onto cards that they wanted to skip. The endgame scoring is based on uh, majority in each of the seven categories of cards as well as diversity as to how many of the categories you have cards in. It's really simple, but really fun. And I I don't know, I tend to do this thing where like when I see a game, like it's box or it just laid out, I tend to make snap judgments that are sometimes not fair. And when I first saw this game, I was kind of like, uh, okay, I'll play that, whatever. And then I ended up really enjoying it. So this is proof you should never make snap judgments <laughs> about anything because sometimes something that doesn't look great is awesome. And it was really fun. I only got to play it once. Uh, so spoiler, it will not be appearing on my top 10 list for 2017. But uh, I know that the backs of all of the cards that you put like in your tableau, like the starting ones, have a different thing on each side. And I have only played with the starting ones. But there's more diversity to the like how it goes. And it's really easy to teach. This honestly is kind of, I think this year's, uh, like last year I talked about how uh, Medieval Academy was like my favorite new to me game in 2016. I think uh, Majesty for the Realm kind of fills a similar niche to uh, Medieval Academy because it's card drafting, but it's simple. 
and it's easy to teach. Uh, so I would highly recommend people check it out. It doesn't take very long to play either. I think maybe like 30, 45 minutes, something like that. So that is Majesty for the Realm. Yeah, I had a similar experience to you. I got to demo it at BGGCon. When I saw it, it has a panoramic picture, which is pretty cool with all the cards. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't expecting it to be like that great of a game. But but I had a lot of fun playing it, so that was cool. Um, also, there is death. The soldiers kill people. <laughs> okay, so technically, oh, yeah. when, well, no, no, because when I thought about oh. this, because when the soldiers, you fl- take the card that's the leftmost on your tableau and you flip it over and put it into the little end area, and that'll give you negative points at the end. But you have another card that you can draft that'll bring those cards back. So yeah, I don't I think they're, so they're dead. Injured, huh? Yeah, I think they're just like well, hurt. the pets aren't dead either. <laughs> They're just at the farm. They're, they're sure. at a farm. And magical meat appears. Yeah. So, no no okay. death. No death. I mean, except for the people in the volcano. Those are definitely uh, okay. dead. Okay, yeah, those might be dead. Yeah, they're definitely dead. I don't think they could survive that. So, last year, we had been podcasting for... I don't know, a little over half a year. And uh, in January of 2017, we did an episode called the 2016 Blitzies, where we gave away some awards that technically mean nothing, but they're <laughs> fun anyway, uh, to games that we liked and had some cool experiences with in 2016. So we decided we're going to do the same thing this year and we're expanding it. Uh, so we're going to give away... Or we're going to talk about some games that we really enjoyed that don't necessarily fit into specific categories. We're going to give away some very specific Blitzy awards to games in particular areas. And then we're all going to give a top 10 list. So those of you who commented in our uh, feedback survey and said, more lists, please. Well, (laughs) here you go. (laughs) And just as a note, we haven't played every game from 2017. Or haven't even, we haven't even touched the surface. So we're only going to be talking about games we played. But I guess we can mention now which games we haven't played that we might want to play. So I actually own some games that I haven't played yet, which is the Time Stories expansion, Estrella Drive, 18CZ, which was a Kickstarter that we just got in December, and Iberian Whale- Railways and an Age of Steam expansion, Sicily, which were both from the Winsome Essen set. And I also have not bought Pandemic Legacy Season 2 yet, because we need to figure out who we're playing it with. <laughs> well, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Estrella Drive for Time Stories, because I've already played that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, honestly, I've been playing Pandemic Legacy with just two players, and it's been lovely. So, in theory, that's a route you could take with it. Yeah, I could do that. So... For 2017 games I haven't played, I think the biggest one for me is Whistle Stop because I did finally pick it up. Um, I wasn't able to get it until November, but I feel like I should have had it played by now. Uh, The other two for me are Meeple Circus and Fog of Love because I'm super interested in both of those. I just don't think that I'll be purchasing them. So I'm hoping other people out there have them locally and once you play them with me, hint, 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 hint. (laughs) This, that's how this has worked in the past. We, we talk yeah, about things. Yeah, exactly how it's worked in the past. <laughs> and then your friends bring them to game night. Uh, it actually works that way for me as well. For the couple of people in my game group who listen to the show, they'll bring something because of something I talked about, which is awesome. Uh, so for me, games that I have not played, uh, I think the biggest one for me is Gloomhaven, which I own and just have not gotten to play yet. And I also haven't I... played that. <laughs> And oh, hey, me either. But I and, didn't really I mean, have an interest. <laughs> I I try not to succumb to hype, um, especially now because I used to kind of be more like that. And Gloomhaven is now number one on the Board Game Geek ratings. Regardless of hype, that means something. The fact that it's number one means something. So, and I was I had bought it before that happened. Obviously, I was already interested in it, and I'm very excited to try it out. Um, some other ones that I haven't played. Uh, Meeple Circus, like Cassidy said, and Fog of Love as well. I still haven't played the Bob Ross Art of Chill game. And I'm (laughs) probably the biggest Bob Ross fan that I know. (laughs) Like, I liked Bob Ross before he was hip again, like two years ago. (laughs) 
I, he was probably never hip, honestly. But when I, <laughs> like when I was a kid, I actually had a Bob Ross painting set and like painted actual Bob Ross paintings. So I, I watched his show every week on PBS when I was little. I love him and I haven't played the board game yet. Uh, Doctor Who Time of the Daleks, which I actually talked about in our 2016 Blitzy episode is something I was looking forward to, but it just released like either right at the end of December or right at the beginning of January. So it hasn't been out very long. I do want to check it out. And there's a couple others. Uh, Harvest Dice from Gray Fox. I still haven't gotten to try and I love roll and write games and uh, Mountains of Madness. I've been weirdly wanting to check out after hearing some more about it which is one of those games that it's it's a party game, but it doesn't sound like a party game by the name. Um, and I've been really curious to check it out. And for games we have played, I played 89 different games that came out in 2017. Most of them are just one play, trying them out at conventions. Uh, but one thing I wanted to mention is that this is the first year that I've added a game to the BGG database. So I played a game called Complex Atomic Compilers. It's basically a Cards Against Humanities, but for software engineer compiling engineers, which is like a subset of software engineers. So it's very niche and it wasn't in the BGG database, but apparently like they were selling it at a convention for software engineers. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I got to add that to the database and took some pictures and it I it's not a great game if you don't know <laughs> software engineering. It's a very inside joke type thing. <laughs> Are there any exciting games you played that aren't going to be in your top 10? Well, I kind of wanted to give some shout outs to a few expansions that came out this year. Those I'm not considering for my top 10 list because mm -hmm. I'm only considering full games. But there were some really good expansions released this year that I loved. Uh, the Champions of Midgard, Valhalla, and Dark Mountains expansions, which ironically, I've never played Champions of Midgard without them because I was <laughs> taught the game at Dice Tower Con in July with the expansions. And I can't imagine going back. Like, I won't play that game without the expansions. They're so good. And then uh, the Play Dirty expansion for Steam Park came out this year and was mm -hmm. awesome. And then, of course, I have to mention the fact that the Cardassian, Ferengi, and Borg expansions all finally came out for Star Trek Ascendancy. <laughs> and I am just over the moon happy that I have so much more content for that game now. And I still, I want to buy all of the extra stuff from Gale Force 9. Like, they have upgrade kits, like little plastic star bases, and like special dice for each race. But, like, you don't need them. You can use the regular dice that come in the game. But I don't care. I want the colored dice for each group. <laughs> and then another expansion came out this year for one of my top three games of all time. And I haven't played it yet. But I wanted to give a shout out to the Runebound Unbreakable Bonds expansion because it made the game fully cooperative and <clears throat> able to be soloed for the first time, which I think is really neat. And I was really excited about it. And I'm sad that I haven't played it yet. But I'm going to soon, hopefully. While I was not uh, extremely disappointed in any games that I played from 2017, I hear that Ambi and Crystal <laughs> may have been. So let's hear what they have to say about their biggest disappointments. Okay, so mine wasn't a huge disappointment, but last year in the 2016 Blitzies, I said I was looking forward to First Martians for 2017, and I did get to play it. It was fun, but it was very fiddly and the setup was annoying and apparently the rule book is really bad so I don't think we're going to be playing it again because my friend didn't enjoy the experience that much and we would just prefer to play Robinson Crusoe so I still had fun playing it but it was disappointed because I'm not going to really be playing it anymore <laughs> I literally re-listened to our 2016 Blitzies episode uh, before we recorded this and in that episode you mentioned you were excited about First Martians, and then I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Uh -huh. I'm excited about it too. I hope that it takes away some of the fiddliness of Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> uh, nope, nope, it did not do that, apparently. It felt and more I fiddly. <laughs> How is that even possible? I pre-ordered it. Like, I pre-ordered First Martians directly through Portal Games, and it is still in shrink on my mm. shelf because everybody else keeps talking about it, and I'm scared to, to try it. But, uh, fun fact, that while that's not a controversial opinion, <laughs> I might be about to drop something really controversial, so please no hate mail. But uh, I have two disappointments thus far 
one of which has an asterisk, or maybe both of them have asterisks, that uh, caveats, if you will. So my biggest disappointments for 2017 are two of what I think are the most popular games of the end of 2017, Seventh Continent and Fallout the board game. As you're wearing a Fallout hoodie. I'm literally wearing my Vault of 111 hoodie right now. Anyone who doubts my dedication to the Fallout franchise, I know. Like, when I when we played Fallout the first time, I had my dog beat plush. I was wearing my Pip-Boy. I put up my Brotherhood of Steel flag behind us. Like... I, I didn't have my uh, my uh, bob, my Vault Boy bobblehead, but it's sitting in another room. Like, I have so much Fallout stuff. I love Fallout. And playing that game for the first time was incredibly disappointing. Mm-hmm. I do think that the rules mistakes we made and realized as we were playing contributed to my dislike of it. But I also think that there are some things functionally not good about the game. I think it might be better solo or with two players. So I'm still willing to try it again. But who boy, I came away real disappointed. And Seventh Continent similarly played it with four people and had a miserable time. We played a total of, I think, around 15 or 16 hours of just the first scenario and did not finish it. Did not even, I think, come close to finishing it. And... It's just a slog. Maybe solo or with a smaller player count, it's better. Maybe we were doing something horribly wrong. Again, there's asterisks potentially all over the place here. But with my personal experience, Seventh Continent, no bueno. Honestly, I backed the second Kickstarter at a dollar just so I could follow updates for the new edition. (laughs) I was like, I don't actually want this game. But I do want to see what's happening with it. Because it's interesting. And I, both of those games, I desperately wanted to love and was really sad that I did not. Now that we've talked about how disappointed we were in a few games, let's talk about how surprised we were by some others. My biggest surprise was Codenamed Duet. I think I mentioned before that I wasn't expecting Codenamed Duet to be any good. Like, well, I expected it to just be a clone of Codenames, but it actually changed the rules a lot to make it interesting two-player experience because you're both clue givers and you're both clue guessers and there's three assassins and they overlap and stuff. So I, I really enjoyed playing Codenames Duet. I'm right there with you on that one. I had kind of burned myself out on Codenames. Like I owned both regular and pictures Codenames already and had just kind of gotten tired of them. So when Duet came out, I was like, ugh, another Codenames mm-hmm. game. And then I played it at my local board game cafe and I was like, oh my goodness, this is fun in a new way. And I knew that my husband and I could play it together. He loves code names, but I don't like playing regular code names with him because he gets a little too intense. <laughs> but I knew that his intensity with just me would make me less uncomfortable than in a like <laughs> group of people. So we've played a bunch of it. It's actually one of my most played games of oh, wow. uh, 2017, which admittedly, I don't play games as much as you. I think I played it 11 times total. <laughs> but I yeah. was actually uh, surprised by Codenames Duet also. I'm not a huge Codenames fan. So when this was brought in and suggested that I play it, I was like, ugh. <laughs> but we actually played it as a group. So we had one group on one side oh, and yeah. one group on Ooh. the other side. And it played really well. And it was a lot of fun. That's cool. Yeah, I've heard that. uh, A lot of people doing that. It sounds really fun. I was surprised by Sagrada because everybody knows my, (laughs) I guess now, dislike and not hate. Yay! We've downgraded the hatred! (laughs) I should have wanted to just chuck this game out the window, but it was my most played game of the year for 2017, and I really enjoyed the experience with it. Shout out to Daryl Andrews, who I got to meet at Dice Tower Con. <laughs> he designed a real cool game. <laughs> um, so my biggest surprise of 2017 was Downforce. Uh, I have stated in the past that I am not generally a fan of racing games. Uh, there are some exceptions to that. Snowtails is a notable one. But for the most part, racing games that other people like, I do not. So I was introduced to Downforce at Dice Tower Con by uh, Justin Jacobson of Restoration Games. So one of the people who helped develop this, you know, reimagining of an older game was there teaching it. And I was like, oh gosh, what if I don't like this? And I liked it. It was really fun. It's definitely light, uh, but it's 
enjoyable in a way that a lot of racing games aren't because you while you ha- can like buy the individual cars you're not like you can win without your car winning potentially based on what you bet on and they're coming out with new tracks soon i believe which is pretty exciting because the it only comes with two to start but i think having more will make it even better so good job downforce i really like you <laughs> we've now talked about our biggest disappointments and our biggest surprises. So taking a step forward, let's talk about what we're looking forward to in 2018. So I don't keep track of a lot of what's coming out in 2018, but I do know Stuff Fables is coming out because it was supposed to be in December, but it got delayed. So I'm looking forward to Stuff Fables. We actually pre-ordered it, and I think it's really cute. I'm, I'm interested in that one as well, because I played through the entire first campaign of Mice and Mystics, and I didn't dislike it, but I also didn't love it as much as some people, and mm-hmm. I think that I might like Stuffed Fables more based on what I've heard about it. Yeah, we played the demo. Toby actually didn't like Mice and Mystics, and then he liked Stuffed Fables. Um, I don't remember why for either of them, <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, we're hoping to play it with our friend's daughter. So that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Yeah. I'm also excited for any new exit games that come out because I really like those. Yeah. More escape room games. <laughs> definitely a good thing. I am not tired of that trend yet at all. I didn't actually play an escape room game this year or last year, but I did actually go to my first escape room ever and that was fun. Ooh. Oh, that's cool. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I actually did the same. I went to a real escape room for the first time this past year as well and really enjoyed it. And now wish that they weren't so expensive because I would want to do that all the time. But hey, at least we have the cheaper board game versions. <laughs> I'm uh, looking forward to Brass, which I backed on Kickstarter. And I'm, I want to say it's shipping uh, sometime first quarter. I don't remember when now off the top of my head. And I'm also looking forward to Scythe Rise of the Fenris, the final expansion, which will make it a legacy type game which sounds super interesting, and I love Scythe, so that should be fun. I still kind of want to try Scythe at some point. I'm not, like, it's not the top of my list, but I feel like I should give it a shot at some point. I really enjoy it. We play it, well, we don't play it quite a bit, but it gets played more than some others on the shelf. So the game that I am most looking forward to in 2018 is Betrayal Legacy, I kind of like my mouth dropped open when they announced this because it was something I did not see coming. Betrayal at House on the Hill originally came out in 2005 and I was first introduced to it in 2007. So now 11 years ago is when I first started playing Betrayal. And I, both to my friends and on this podcast, have talked in the past about my issues with the game. But I still love it despite those issues And I am really, really excited for a legacy horror game in general. Like, even if it's B or C movie horror, like, that's kind of more my thing anyway. Like, I don't like super scary stuff. So I'm very, very excited to see what Rob Davio does with that game. And I messaged him on Twitter the other day. I was like, hey, if you need playtesters, you hit me up (laughs) because I would be more than happy to help out with that game. I'm very excited about it. And now that we've taken a step forward, we're going to go a little farther back. So your best new to you that was not a 2017 release, but you played in 2017. Okay, so I have a couple. There's Exit the Abandoned Cabin, which was my first Exit game I played. And I played that in May at HeavyCon. Uh, That was a really good experience, and I really liked the Exit games. But also... Nine Tiles is an oink game, a speed oink game that I learned at BlitzCon, and I really like that game because I really like speed games, and it's very portable and fast. And you kicked my butt at it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got better, but I was so bad at that game at first. <laughs> I think I have a really high win percentage in that game. <laughs> the best new to me were all introduced to me by the same person. Because they fit a very specific theme, I think, that he was trying to throw at me, which is dice games that I will like. (laughs) (laughs) So the best new-to-me games for 2017 were Bruges, Trois, Mm -hmm. and Marco Polo, Mm -hmm. which are all very Euro 
games, but with dice. Mm-hmm. And those are all very highly regarded games, too. Yeah, I, I loved I loved all of them. I've played Marco Polo once, and I I didn't hate it, but it was a little more Euro-y than I prefer. Marco Polo is crazy because everybody gets a different ability, and each ability sort of breaks the game a little bit in its own different, unique way, which makes it really interesting to I me, think at least. The, I think the only reason I enjoyed it at the level that I did, which is not to say highly, but like kind of, was because the ability that I got was the one that allows you to set your dice to whatever face you want. So I never had to roll my dice. Uh, And so I like, it made it making decisions easier because I knew I could always have whatever pip value I needed to do the actions I wanted to do. So it made it a little easier for me than some euros where I feel kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do right now. Uh, So my best new to me games for 2017 uh, my first one is Arcadia Quest, which I think I may have technically started the campaign of at the end of 2016, but I, I know that I played the majority of the campaign at the beginning of 2017, so I'm counting it, and I loved it. It was so much fun. I want to play some more of the expansion content, like Inferno, and I want to play with the pets because I haven't gotten to play with the pets yet, And uh, it's but it's great, and it's... I was kind of skeptical about it because there is uh, player versus player combat, and I don't always enjoy that in games. But since it isn't the like only thing, you're also fighting against monsters in the area that are NPCs, then it's pretty cool. And then I also have to give a shout out to Strike, <laughs> because I finally got to play Strike for the first time in 2017, and oh man, do I love it. And Actually, as of the day of this recording, my copy of Strike is going to arrive in the mail, supposedly, from somebody I bought it from on the geek market. He said it was scheduled to arrive on Saturday, so that means today, and I'm finally going to own Strike, and I cannot tell you how excited I am. Yay! I I forgot that that was, I think that was new to me in 2017, too, but I've played it so much that it doesn't seem like it was. (laughs) So, yeah, I think that's my answer, too. Okay. Yeah, I think it was. Wow. It's just, yeah, it feels like you've known Strike forever because you're such good friends. It's it's my most played game of 2017. And I I know you've told me before, but let's tell the listeners. How many times did you play Strike in 2017, Ambie? 54. This is a lot. That's more than once a week. Well, but you play a lot in one sitting, so it's not... It is quick. It's, you play, like, a lot of games right after another, but still, mm-hmm. 54 well, yeah. is a lot. Like, even if you only played it five times, through, or, like, ten times throughout the year, that's still more than five plays each time you played it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. that's, although, who knows, maybe my 2018 is going to be the same now that I'll own a copy of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's so easy to get played. and go everywhere. Yeah. All right, listeners, you asked for more lists. We're giving you more lists. Here is each of our top 10 for 2017. Number 10. My number 10 is Crosstalk, which is a party game. Uh, It's a word party game with teams where you're trying to guess the same word and the clue givers give a secret clue to your team, but you also give public clues. And when you give a clue, the other team guesses. So you don't want to give too good of a clue. It's really fun trying to connect the different obscure clues together into the word you're trying to guess. And we've had a lot of fun playing it. Mine would be Rocky Road a la mode. One, mostly because I just love saying the name. It's fun. And two, it's about ice cream trucks. And who doesn't love an ice cream truck? I would say lactose intolerant people. (laughs) (laughs) You can get dairy free things off the ice cream truck. Yep, you're right. They can love Uh, it too. Yeah. (laughs) My number 10 is technically probably not my number 10, but I didn't know where to place it on my list. It is Pandemic Legacy Season 2. So as of the recording of this episode, I have played through three-fourths of the game. I'm not going to spoil anything for you, so don't worry about clicking off if you haven't played it yet. But I've really, really, really enjoyed it so far. I just don't know where it's going to fit in my top 10. So I didn't want to put it above anything else without having finished the entire campaign. But I really, really like it. And I think it will move up for sure. I just don't know where yet. So Pandemic Legacy, my season two is my number 10. Number nine. 
My number nine is Hunt for the Ring. I've actually only played this once and only played the first half, but I really liked it. And I also really like Lord of the Rings, so that helps. But it's a hidden movement game where one one person is Frodo and the rest are the ring race trying to catch him. And I, I really enjoy it. The theme goes through really well and the game plays nicely. <laughs> Number nine for me is actually a late arrival since I just got it for Christmas. But it's Sakatsu, which is a lovely little tile placing game that's very simple to learn, quick to play, and just beautiful art. Okay, I swear I didn't do this on purpose, (laughs) but my number nine is number nine. (laughs) Okay, she did it on purpose. I did it! What's funny is I was shifting around my list at the last minute, and I ended up, like, copying and pasting it into that spot without realizing what number that was. So it's spelled N-M-B-R, and then the numeral nine. I think I've talked about it before, but yeah, it's a little tiling game. It's abstract. It's awesome. I still don't have the promos that they were giving out at Essen where like the different starting tiles for each player and I really want them. So I have to keep my eyes out to see if I can get those, but I love it. It's great. I've it's easy to travel with. I've played it solo even and I don't play a lot of games solo. So that is my number 9, number 9. <laughs> that was my number 14. Oh, okay. <laughs> number 8. My number eight is on Cassidy's list further up, but I'll stare intently at her when it comes up. (laughs) My number eight is Startups, which is another oink game. And it's just a fun little stock exchange game. It's pretty quick and fun to play. Everything I've said so far is just pretty quick and fun to play. (laughs) Apparently, I have nothing else to say about these at the end of my list. (laughs) I really like startups. Yeah, those it's are the qualities in a lot of my games, too. And <laughs> startups is on my honorable mention list for sure. My number eight was a game that released from Kickstarter early in 2017 that I instantly fell in love with and have played quite a bit over the course of the year. And that is Starving Artists. It is a little game where you play as literally a starving artist. You have to try and feed yourself and complete paintings to get more food, and more paint so you can make more paintings. It's a little, almost an engine builder in a weird way. It's light. It's beautiful. They have actual, like, works of art, including, like, famous paintings, comic book covers, lots of cool stuff in the game. Uh, It's in a small box. It travels well. I love it. That is my number eight, Starving Artists. Number seven. My number seven is Codenames Duet, which we mentioned in The Most Surprised. So that's why I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Number seven for me is Catacombs and Castles, which I believe I talked about on an earlier episode. I love this because it kind of is Dungeons and Dragons-y, which I like but don't never have enough time for. And it's also dexterity. It's just really fun to take your Dungeons and Dragons type character and flip them around the board to kill the monsters. My number seven is Wordsy, a word game from designer Gil Hova, who I just, oh, his stuff is the best. (laughs) I love just about everything he's come out with. And while I enjoy lots of word games, Wordsy is kind of now at the top of my list when it comes to word games, because it's uh, quick and fun. And it's surprising how with a limited number of letters that you should use the ability to use any letter in the alphabet when you're constructing words makes it a little more I think approachable than some other word games because like in paperback you have a hand of words or a hand of letters and you have to choose from them and them alone even if there's wilds but in wordsy you can make any word you want any time but you just only score based on the letters that are on the board so I think it's more approachable than a lot of word games and I've played it quite a bit and I adore it that is my number seven wordsy number six my number six is Azul, which is a tile placing game. Uh, so you're you're getting these tile... tile placement, yeah, yeah. You're getting these tiles that are different colors, and you're placing them in rows and fill up the rows to try to get it to your little mural thing. And you get points based on how many in a row you have. And it's kind of cutthroat because you can take you take all of one color, and you can take it so that other people have to take the leftover and if they have too much they get negative points 
So I still haven't played it two-player, but I think I would like it the most two-player because then it can be the most cutthroat of you taking to screw over the other player. But I, I really enjoy it, Azul. Yeah, I think most people refer to it as a tile drafting game. Tile yeah, drafting yeah. and yeah. placing, I guess, yeah. I only got to play it once, and so it didn't make my <laughs> list, but I really liked my first play of it. It was, and it's, ooh, it's pretty. It's real pretty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I really want to play it. Number six for me is Century, Gollum, and Spice Road. I've combined them since they're essentially the same game, just with different art. I prefer the art to Gollum, but Spice Road was the one that I played first. Uh, I like this game because it's pretty. (laughs) (laughs) This is our top ten pretty game list. (laughs) That also happen to be good games. (laughs) It, it feels to me like Splendor, but there's just a little bit more to it to make it more enjoyable for me. My number six is another pretty game. It is <laughs> Herbaceous, which is an herb planting game with art by Beth Sobel. We've talked about her on uh, a previous episode where we were talking about good board game art and her art in this game is really, really lovely. And it's literally a game about planting an herb garden and it's super quick, super fun, easy to teach. I have played it quite a bit, and I love it. That is my number six, Herbaceous. Number five. My number five is not a pretty game. It is 1868, which was the 18xx game in the Winsome Essence set this year. So it's basically a bunch of pieces of papers and, and wooden things in a clamshell. But it's really fun. Uh, I've only played it once, but everyone, like four of the five companies start in the same location and you can build multiple track per turn by paying more. So the track gets built really fast and it's a lot of fun. Just like the crazy track lays, I think. So my number five is Clans of Caldonia, which I did only get to play once. I'm putting it in my number five uh, spot because I thoroughly enjoyed my play of this and really hope to get it played some more this year. It's been said on several places on those internets <laughs> that it is a Terra Terra Mystica killer. I don't really see it as that. It plays very similarly to Terra Mystica. It's a little easier to, I think, dive into this than Terra Mystica. But if you really, really like Terra Mystica and the theme of it, theme of it in quotation marks (laughs) and how that plays you'll also like clans of caldonia if you're looking to play it with people that maybe aren't into something as heavy but it's it's a lovely game and all the little wooden bits at least i think this was a this was a kickstarter version so all the little lovely wooden bits in the kickstarter version are all different shapes and super fun like you had to figure out which was which at first because the the whiskey barrels really look like whiskey barrels and then there are little cheese pieces that i probably would have told you were pizza slices at first before (laughs) playing the game so it was it was a lot of fun to play and i really hope i get to play it again this is a tiny tangent but have you played gaia project yet Mm -mm. i know that gaia project i think it just came out but it's the kind of the sequel to terra mystica and I haven't played any of these games, but I'd be curious, since you like Terra Mystica and you like Clans of Caldonia, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on Gaia Project at some point if you do get a chance to play it. Because shockingly, I actually used to, I hated Terra Mystica until I played it with a different game group and then realized <laughs> that I liked it. I I think I hated it at first because I was playing it so much with people that had played it way more than I had. Mm. So I never had a chance of winning. So then when I played it with a group where we were all sort of learning together, it was a lot, a lot more fun. So we'll, we'll, we'll be playing that more. <laughs> that might be an interesting topic for an upcoming episode to talk about how your enjoyment of a game can be affected by who you're playing it with, potentially. Well, my number five is the same as the number next to it, and it appears higher on Cassidy's list. So I can't place it here, but we'll talk about it in a little while. Number four. My number four was Kitchen Rush, which I talked about a few episodes ago. It's a real-time cooperative game where you're working in a kitchen trying to get orders out to people at a restaurant. And you have hourglasses that you put on the spaces. And when the hourglass is done is when you can move it. So I I really liked that. 
the way that that works with the theme because like it takes time to cook things in an oven and stuff. So I've only played it once, but I want to play it more. <laughs> and I don't own it because it was a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like my number five. <laughs> <laughs> My number four is Magic Maze, and honestly, I'm shocked with myself that it got placed <laughs> so high, considering how most of my game group will tell you how much I hate fun. <laughs> <laughs> Magic Maze is tense, but enjoyable, and it can be played in complete silence, which is probably why I like it. And I believe this was this was Ambie's number eight, so yes, it was. she probably has some things to say, too. Yeah, so I really like it. It's another real-time cooperative game, which is one of my favorite genres. Um, but yeah, the reason it was lower on my list is because we've played it a lot. Uh, we've played it 24 times, and it's starting to get a little stale. We haven't played the back scenarios, but we keep playing with newer people, and then it's just like the first couple scenarios, which gets not as exciting for us now, so... My number four is Dice Forge, the dice crafting game that technically has no theme. I mean, there's a theme pasted on, but it means <laughs> next to nothing in the context of the game. I love it anyway. I don't care that the theme doesn't really translate to what you're doing in the game. I love building my two dice. I love the fact that I get to roll my dice on every player's turn, so there's no downtime in this game at all. And I love that it plays quickly in addition to all of that. And it's also very pretty. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I've i played it quite a bit since I was first introduced to it a few months ago. And I I almost kind of burned myself out on it, but then I stopped because I was like, no, I don't want to like start not liking it. I do think that it would benefit from expansions. I don't think that they're necessary for the game to be enjoyed, but I want more options and cards and maybe like special dice. I don't know. I would love to see more content for it, but I love it just the way it is. That's my number four, Dice Forge. <laughs> number three. My number three is Crossfire, which is a social deduction game that takes like five minutes. There's the deal out and then I think a three minute timer where you're talking. It's cool because you have your role, but before that, you look at the roles that are next to you, and then they get shuffled, and then you look at, like, three other roles, and they get shuffled. So you have information about, like, oh, in these three people, there's this thing, and this thing, and I'm this. And um, th there's different win conditions. It's like, some people want to kill the VIP, some people want to kill the people who want to kill them, and it's a lot of fun. Just really quick social deduction game. At uh, Dice Tower Con in July, uh, Emerson Matsuchi, <laughs> who's the designer of this game, we had asked him if he had brought like a prototype of it because it hadn't been released yet. And he didn't bring one with him, but he was like, well, he's like, for the basic roles, I could just make one real quick. So he made <laughs> he made a, like a little prototype on like literally like rip, ripped up pieces of paper. And we played at <laughs> a pizza awesome. restaurant when we went to dinner one night during Dice Tower Con. And I, yeah, what you said is completely apt it removes the problem that a lot of uh hidden role games have where new players often don't have any idea what to bluff or what is smart to bluff but in this game since you know that there are other roles like near you or you know what other roles are possibly there you can kind of instantly claim a role that isn't yours mm -hmm. and it a lot of players will be like, well, that could be true because I saw that card. Yeah. So I think it removes the barrier to entry, at least with the base level roles. I didn't play with any of the special roles, obviously, because he just made us the like bare bones <laughs> version of it. But it was cool. I, I didn't get to, I haven't gotten to play the retail release yet, so I don't really have a full okay. opinion on it yet. But it was cool. We ordered it, so we'll probably bring it to BlitzCon. Nice. That will be a good <laughs> one, I think, for that. <laughs> My number three is Baron Park because I love polyominoes <laughs> and the little toilet pieces are fun. <laughs> but actually this is a I really I really like this game because depending on how you finish and which which goals are are out depends on points and so it's not always first person done win sort of thing and I really I really like it. But mostly cuz I love polyominoes. <laughs> this one's on my honorable mention list. I'm kind of surprised it didn't make my top 10 because I played it a lot when I was first introduced to it, but then I 
kind of forgot about it. And that's not to say that I started disliking it at all. But for whatever reason, I think it just didn't stick with me. And like, I wasn't as compelled to keep playing it. I do think it would benefit from expansions as well, but I liked it a lot. Mm -hmm. It got played a lot uh, early on when I got it too, because people were requesting it for game night. And then eventually people just stopped requesting it. So later in the year, it didn't get played near as much, but I still, it stuck with me, which is why it's my number three. Nice. My number three, I'm kind of cheating. I'm putting two games in together because it was hard to separate them. I am putting both King Domino and Queen Domino as my number three. I have talked extensively about King Domino in the past. I got to try Queen Domino when it released uh, after Essen or Gen Con. I don't know. It was or late in the year. And I now own both. I am one of the rare people who actually prefers King Domino because I enjoy the simplicity of it more, but I also really like Queen Domino. So I own both. I still prefer, my favorite way to play is still the seven by seven grid instead of the five by five. And I also prefer any player count that allows us to use all of the tiles rather than having to take tiles out, like for a three player game or a two player game with a five by five, because then you don't have perfect information. And without perfect information, it's harder to strategize. And I like being able to strategize more effectively in it. So that is my number three, King and Queen Domino. Number two. My number two was Exit the Game, The Forgotten Island. I really like the Exit games and I'm not going to spoil it, but it had some cool stuff in it. (laughs) (laughs) My number two is Ex Libris, which was also a late to me game. I didn't pick it up uh, until November at PAX Unplugged. And I never, I didn't get a chance to play it before then. I f- think I finally just got it played in December for the first time. But since then, I've played it five times. I really, well, I used to work in a bookstore. So I really like books. I read a lot, guys. It's no joke. I like alphabetizing and organizing things. So this game was sort of perfect for me since you're building out your library in alphanumerical order (laughs) i really enjoy this game and i've already played it once this year and i'm hoping for for more plays i still need to play that oh also reading all the book titles on the cards is hilarious (laughs) Uh, i enjoyed it but i do not like organizing things as much as you (laughs) so while it's fun it's a little stressful for me And I also uh, had issues with, like, the different buildings coming out. And since the text on the buildings is small and you get new buildings every round, I was kind of like, every round, I was like, oh, no, what do these ones do again? And I couldn't remember. So it was a little difficult. But it's still a fun game for sure. Yeah, during the first couple of plays, that was really rough. It's nice that the buildings, you eventually sometimes when playing get back through them again so you start to get familiar with them i think it was the third or fourth playthrough for me where i was really just didn't have to read them and just knew what they did some of them were still weird and the yeah the text on those tiles is difficult and so we always just kept the we just keep the rule book out so that we can just read it easier that was definitely a downfall for it but that didn't take it out of my number two spot because i love it it's a great game and it's (laughs) Oh, and the book names are hilarious. Oh, yeah. So great. (laughs) My number two is Tiny Epic Quest. This is hands down my favorite game in the Tiny Epic series of games. I have played two or three of the others. I have not played all of the Tiny Epic games, but I've played most of them now at this point. And Tiny Epic Quest... Uh, While it does suffer from similar problems to the Tiny Epic Games in that it feels a bit fiddly because the parts are so small, it is a shockingly large experience that you get out of a very small box. Like, I think the fiddliness is far outweighed by the fact that the experience and the gameplay, there's so much going on and so much stuff you can do, and it all fits into this little box, and it's kind of baffling to me how they were able to do that. And I've loved every play of it. Roy Canaday taught it to me at Dice Tower Con, and then I was able to pick up a Kickstarter edition of it from a friend of mine here in Vegas who was selling his, and I was like, give me, and I was very excited. (laughs) So it has, like, special stuff in it that it didn't, like come in the retail edition. So I love it. It's great. I don't care that it's a little fiddly because it's so much fun. That is, oh, and the item meeples. I have to mention the item meeples. <laughs> you can put 
items on your meeples. Like they can carry a sword and a shield or a bow or a potion bottle. And it's so cute. And I love it. That is my number two, Tiny Epic Quest. And finally, number one. My number one is Exit the Game, The Forbidden Castle. So I really like the Exit Games, if you can't tell. My number one and two <laughs> are each ones. But of the three that came out in 2017, they, the order that I like them in is The Forbidden Ga- Castle, then The Forgotten Island, and then The Polar Station, which didn't even make my top ten. But yeah, I liked them all a lot. But The Forbidden Castle had some more new interesting things <laughs> that I thought were really neat and I can't tell you about. <laughs> <laughs> okay so i've only played the first three exit games i haven't played the new set of three ambi mm-hmm. based on you having played six of them now what are your thoughts as to how long they can continue making innovative puzzles does that make sense like obviously I yeah i don't know because i i would think like they keep doing things that i wouldn't think of so <laughs> they're more innovative than i am <laughs> am, I, am I correct in saying that the the exit games are the Inca and Marcus Brand designed ones? Oh yes, yes. Yeah, I I'm kind of blown away by how ingenious some of those puzzles are in those games. Yeah, and and there's been different things in each one, so I'm very impressed. My number one will shock you all because actually it probably won't since we've already talked about <laughs> our most our biggest surprise. Uh, my number one is Sagrada. It's so many the dice! The diciest <laughs> of the dice games. The diciest. Other than maybe Couriers, but I hate that game. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Sagrada is my number one. Partly because it did shock me so much and how much I enjoyed this game. The other part is because while it is a dice game, it's dice drafting. And everything that gets rolled generally has a place that you can use it until maybe the very end of the game. So I don't feel like I'm stuck with just one one roll and this is the one number that I have to use. I have choices, which makes this not feel like a dice game to me while it is technically a dice game. Also, it is extremely pretty. <laughs> yeah, Sagrada was my number five and I also adore this game. And it's funny because when you first are teaching it to new people, like when you're explaining the placement rules, like, okay, so you have to place based on the little squares on your card and you can't touch the same number and you can't touch the same color. It feels like when you're just introducing it that way that you're never going to be placing dice anywhere. Like, oh gosh, nothing will ever fit. And somehow it all magically does. And it, oh gosh, just so fulfilling to like fill in that whole little stained glass window and see this beautiful little panel of dice at the end. I love it. I actually just played it again uh, a few days ago, and it's great. So that's why it's my number five. And your number one. Yeah, I taught it to uh, new players on New Year's Eve. And one of the people, she she basically said, how do you even put the dice in here after I did the, <laughs> the explanation of things? So that, that definitely is very true. But it's so much fun. And she crushed us. Nice. Crushed. <laughs> I, I I have a weird like enjoyment of when I teach a player a new game and they just grok it right away and just like demolish everybody. <laughs> My number one game is Near and Far from Red Raven Games, Ryan Lockett. I had not actually played any of Ryan's previous titles. I had kind of been vaguely interested in Above and Below, but had never gotten around to trying it. So when Near and Far came out, I heard people talking about it and I was like, that sounds like something I'm really going to dig. Like light worker placement, lots of thematic story elements. It sounded like something I would love and I did handily. My friend Kathy and I played through the entire story campaign, not the character campaigns and had a wonderful time with it. Our, we would go back and forth almost every game trading wins, like she'd win, I'd win, back and forth almost the whole campaign. So at the end of the campaign, I just barely beat Kathy. And I honestly thought I was going to lose the campaign, but I didn't even care because it was so... Like, we were so engaged in the story. Like, you get to go on these little side quests and you get these special keywords and you get to gain new abilities as your character levels up. I just love it. It's wonderful. I am 
going to be playing through the character campaigns and I'd actually like to do the like one-off mode where you're using a deck of cards for the story instead of the main storybook. I ordered the expansion through the Kickstarter and I'm getting both the expansion and the base game uh, through that because I don't own the base game currently. But it is one of my most played games of 2017 and it is the one I adore the most. That is my number one, Near and Far. I need to play that. <laughs> I, oh, just so good. <laughs> And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. If you like the thematic worker placement game, Champions of Midgar, make sure all your dice warriors have somewhere to go in the afterlife by picking up the Valhalla expansion. Gray Fox Games, quality games, cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to show us a little love, you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Just head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our patrons get a lot of benefits, including access to our private Slack channel where you can chat with us directly anytime. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out their other shows in the network by visiting dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time, keep it blitzy, and we hope your 2018 is filled with awesome gaming. Bye, everyone. Bye! Bye. Uh, for me... Uh, or no, I, Cassidy should be next. <laughs> I just... It's because I was looking at the sheet, and I was like, no, wait, that's not alphabetical. <laughs> Yeah, that's my fault. I should have put it in between. Oh no, you're fine. <laughs> Sorry, I scrolled away. Um <laughs> scroll away. How dare you? <laughs> okay. So it's really interesting trying to um uh, what's the word? Trying to ah <laughs> uh, connect. Okay. It's really fun. <laughs> I'm not I mean, good at word games, It's apparently. a really obscure word. Nobody ever uses it. It's fun. <laughs> okay. So it's really fun trying to... <laughs> okay. It's really fun it's trying to It's not my time. Why do we have the giggles? Because <laughs> it's... I don't know. Oh. Okay. My number nine... Oh, oops. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's we haven't. I'm skipping ahead already. Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that I put number nine as number nine. Also, oh, that's funny. That's oh, gonna be fun. nice. I, I did not do that intentionally. <clears throat> okay. Oh, and you just go to number nine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's I'm how, like that's waiting to hear a number nine. <laughs> okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. I like how you waved, Crystal. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. <laughs> oh, gosh.